This is Growth Decoded to Go, a podcast from a show that helps you grow your business by figuring out the customer experience, one piece at a time. We do this to share our findings with you, wherever you are. Because this podcast is only the audio portion of the show, there might be some references to visuals. But don't fret, because we've included links to the video version of the show in the podcast description. All right, let's get into it. Ahoy there, Internet, and welcome back to Growth Decoded, a show about growth, a show about experiences, and a show about plants. Well, one plant. I'm your host, Ernie Santarelli, and this here is that plant, Plantasia. Before we get into this episode, Plantasia does a hilarious impression of an oak tree in a thunderstorm. Go ahead, buddy. Show him. Oh, it's incredible. For a second there, I thought I could feel the rain. You're getting too good, Plantasia. Now there's a lot of talk these days about community-led growth. How can you build community? How can you engage that community? And how can you build an engaged community that contributes to the overall growth of your business? There's also a lot of talk about robots. Boston Dynamics is building dystopian humanoids that can deliver mail and do front flips. Amazon has entire warehouses run by robots. And your website might have a robot that lives in the bottom right-hand corner of the homepage ready to assist any visitor with a question, get them to sign up for your email list or for a demo, or just cut to the chase and have them become a customer. But there's rarely talk about both of these things at the same time. Until now, today's guest lives in the middle of the robot and community-led growth Venn diagram. She's Sarah Pion, and she's an expert in the world of chatbots, community-led growth, and career development. She's also the co-host of a podcast called Self-Control and Cheese. Check it out. And I am now joined by the Senior Growth Manager at VoiceFlow, which is a software that helps businesses design and build conversational assistants like chatbots, Google Actions, mobile assistants, and more. She is one half of the podcast, Self-Control and Cheese, a show about professional growth and development. And she also posts a ton of really insightful, helpful, and thoughtful content on LinkedIn and Twitter pretty much every day. The one and only Sarah Pion, welcome to Growth Decoded. Hey, it's, yeah. It's great to be here. Thrilled to be here. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, so first of all, you know, thank you for the time today. But one thing that I really want to talk to you about is you're a senior growth manager. And as somebody who hosts a show where growth is literally like the first word of the title of the show, pretty interested in your role, what it means. So could you tell us a little more about like what you do, how you approach the idea and maybe even like the, the problem of growth being something to manage? Yeah, um, great great name of your show. Love that growth is right there in the title. So that's sweet. Um, But yeah, so VoiceFlow is the freemium business. So we have a free uh, account that you can sign up for that's free forever. Um, And there are parameters on that, obviously. But um, so a lot of my work uh, as the senior growth manager centers around activating the free users who sign up for our account. Uh, and moving them along in their customer journey to the point where they see so much value in the product that they need to give us money. <laughs> uh, and so those channels that activation generally happens is obviously through like onboarding and emails and doing really fun uh, email onboarding nurtures and um, nudge emails and milestone emails. And, you know, they just can't get enough emails from us, but, you know, not all at the same time. Um but we also have a really, really active community. And that started when VoiceFlow was really focused on build a, building a tool for people who wanted to create their own Alexa and Google skills. Uh, mm. That 
community has kind of evolved into kind of like a 50-50 split of uh, Alexa and Google builders with also um, teams of people who professionally create conversational assistants as well. Um, and so it's really cool because the Alexa and Google builders were kind of there first uh, and, and the professional teams are kind of coming in and they have all of this knowledge from the Alexa and Google builders and like the really intricate inner workings of voice flow because any like graphic user interface is going to be kind of like scary to get dropped into when it's like totally empty and you could do anything. So you don't want to do anything. <laughs> um, right. And so facilitating conversations between our more veteran builders and our newer designers is something that I'm like super passionate about and love to see on a regular basis. So I'll, that's like an overview sort of of channels is, you know, in product, email, community, and then content as well. Um, and that's generally like user content versus like market content for SEO purposes. Mm. Interesting. Uh, so it seems like like the community is a huge aspect of of everything that you do over there. Mm-hmm. And and I've heard the term like community led products kind of get, I've seen it in writing, I've seen it around. I love the idea of what that is, but I'm kind of unsure about like what exactly that means. Like, could you talk through what it means to be like a community led product? Yeah, I think that uh, community is like the the moat of surrounding voice flow. So I mean, Figma tomorrow could be like, yep, you can design conversational assistance using Figma. And we'd be like, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. You totally can. You can also do it with like Miro or Lucidchart. Uh, but there are so many people that we have sort of like engaged with, asked for feedback, uh, listened to uh, and included in our product development that they're very emotionally tied to the Voicefilm product. And that's something that takes like a lot of work and fostering and focus. Um, and so that's what I think why a lot of people, a lot of businesses kind of like get a little wary about community because like you have to put so much work into essentially getting nothing and giving everything to a community. Uh, and so especially when our product was super early stage, like we wanted all of our community members who were down for it uh, to beta test and to give us feedback immediately uh, and to talk to our product manager and to talk to the engineer who built that thing um, and kind of give them a direct line to our team uh, to feel heard and to feel like they are part of something larger than just like using a piece of software. Like they felt like they were a part of the development of this tool that they were using. Uh, and I think that we had buy-in from the beginning as well. So like our CEO would record videos of him doing like a weekly vlog of just like, Hey, like this is what we're working on this week. Uh, like Chris over here on the product team is like scoping out this new feature. Mike is doing like a good, better, best product design for X, Y, and Z thing. And like Frank is over here building the infrastructure and Em's going to tell you more about it like next week in the product one sort of thing. So we like, we really worked out loud uh, and facilitated like an inside wind, like a window essentially from the community into like the inner workings of VoiceFlow. Um, and that really helped create just like a, a customer base of raving fans, but also direct communication with people who were giving us like, hey, I would have expected this to work this way. I would have loved for when this was released for it to be workspace-wide instead of just in my project. Uh, and it keeps us like really honest in a sense of like, who are we building for? 
And it's like, we're building for like Don and Gina and Peter. We're not just building for like a persona. Um, mm. And so that, that sort of like involvement in a roadmap can be really scary. Cause like, what if they don't want what you're building, but it's like for the future. Uh, but it also clears up a lot of questions in the beat, like from the start of just like, Hey, this is like the goal for the next few releases, because at the end, we want you to be able to do this. So like, maybe it won't make sense in the beginning, but like give us marketing feedback, giving, give us positioning feedback. Um, and that sort of proximity to like a roadmap and a product and like a team is really powerful, especially when you're building for like individual users uh, who sit on teams. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like it was something that was sort of like, baked into the process from the beginning. Like it was always the intention to make a thing and interact with the community of users to make the thing better and to, to communicate through the whole process. It wasn't a thing that you were sort of like, Oh, maybe we could do this. It was, it was baked in from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so voice flow like was voice flow. It started, you know, as most companies do is like super different, but like the thing that stuck was the thing they went with. Um, but it, it was always community-based to start. It started as actually just an Alexa skill for parents to make their own stories called Storyflow. Uh, and you can make your own bedtime stories. And they created a Facebook group with a bunch of parents. And these, the founders were all like college student guys being like, what kind of stories do you want to tell your kids, parents? Um, but like that sort of feedback loop immediately was valuable that they like ensured that the community was always full of ICP users, but were involved in like development and feedback. And uh, we didn't just listen to our highest paying customers, which like is definitely very important, but like there's also power in the masses and, and what were the masses saying as well. Mm. And you said something before about how it was like, you're not just making it for the community, but you're making it for, and I don't remember the names that you listed, but you said, actual names. And I think that yeah. that is like one thing that kind of gets overlooked. Like community seems to be this weird bud buzzword. It's like very much in the spotlight right now. Like you need to build a community. Everybody needs a community. And it's like talked about as if you could just kind of like switch it on or switch it off. And to your yeah. point earlier, like you have to give everything and kind of expect nothing for a while before it kind of starts to pay dividends for you. But mm -hmm. I, I was talking with um, Ramon Ray, he was saying that he thought one of the big distinctions in community is the idea of recognition. So have you found like, reaching out and talking to people, you know, by name, talking to them as individuals, and not just like somebody had an idea, or here's an anonymous feedback form, or it, it's more personal than that is do you, do you see that as sort of like a big way to to grow and engage the community? A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, we, we started doing community awards that was like nominated by people within the community. Um, and then, you know, you get like your little certificate, you can put it wherever you want. You can put it on LinkedIn, you can put it in your like bio, you can put it on your resume. Um, but we also recently just transitioned our community platform into like an owned community. We were on Facebook for a while. Uh, and mm -hmm. Facebook doesn't allow you to have like badges and recognition for people who have who were like founding members who have actively contributed so much that they should be a moderator. Um, and so I had, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations with a lot of members of our community during that transition to be like, what is important to you in this new platform so that you will feel like uh, you can make the habitual change of moving off of Facebook, which is like a social network into like a community.voiceflow.com. That's like a little bit less habitual in your like, searching uh, and typing and, and checking. Um, and so recognition was like 
the number one thing said by almost everyone I talked to, no, everyone that I talked to, of just like, I'm an OG, like, and I want the new people to know. And we're like, we all know your names. Like, we all know that Kuniaki wrote a book about how to use voice flow in Japanese, like, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, but like, newer people, we want them to come on and like, kind of like, recognize and respect your knowledge as well. So we also are like, putting together sort of a, a directory of voice flow experts that are available for hire or that are available to do like freelance contract agency type work to be like, these are the people that you can go to for your questions, uh, for feedback, for discussion, because they really know their, they really know their stuff. Um, and that level of recognition, not just like within our own team, but like lifting up the voices of the people who are lifting up our business is super important because it just like makes them yell louder, honestly. Yeah. Um, and like we had literally within the first week of this new community, we had such a great conversation uh, back and forth about like a specific part of conversation design that the guy who facilitated the conversation guest wrote a blog post in our blog about it. Um, and so like, it's really just a place where we can tap into external resources of people who are just as passionate about this topic as we are uh lift up their platform and legitimize like their words and their ideas and their thoughts and uh we wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't have a place to have those conversations um our support team was literally hired from members of our community like we didn't have to train them on the product they know it better than we do wow i mean as far as (laughs) as far as recognition goes like that is that is the ultimate recognition where it's like, we, we recognize that you're better at this than we are. And we're the thing. So please come do the thing for us. That's, that's really cool. So it seems like people who are in the community, like they know that they're helping to direct the ship, right. That they're having an impact. How do you like, how do you communicate to that from the beginning? sorry, communicate that to them from the beginning? Like, how are they made aware of that? Is it sort of like just by osmosis because everything is, is very community centered or or is there like a, Oh, like a channel or a message or something that it's like, Hey, you're a new user. Like this is where to go. Yeah. I mean, community is included in like the footer of all of our emails, but it's also like a link that we send like very early on in the onboarding cycle as well. Uh, We are like a collaboration and collaborative tool but we also have like very easy sharing built like capabilities built into the tool. And so like the positioning is like conversation design is a team sport. If you don't have one, we'll be yours. Like come, come join the team. Like we are down to give you feedback. We are down to, to give you um, like advice or just like point you in the right direction. Um, we also do like community events that we promote externally outside of the community, um, you can then like join and then register and then you, you get all the updates. Um, and we're doing more in that, in that like sort of live event, uh, sort of, uh, strategy of like, how can we even take some of the, the people who have found VoiceFlow as a free tool, but want to create and and path a career in conversation design? Like, how can we enable that? So like, can we do virtual job fairs? Can we do portfolio building sessions? Can we pull in members of our community who have different roles within a conversation design team and help educate like these potential candidates on the job opportunities that they could have just knowing this tool? Um, so it's a lot of like, you sign up, you, you'll know, uh, but we also do, we'll, uh, we'll do some like external communication of like, Hey, the live bot teardown is happening this week. If you want to see 
how and why we think Sephora's chat instance could be better, like come tune in. Uh, it's totally free. Um, and then we have like a, a decent amount of following on YouTube as well, where um, the recording is posted and people can watch it whenever they want. That's awesome. I love that. So as well, I mean, Active Campaign is very focused on the customer experience. The show is all about kind of where the customer experience meets and influences business growth. So how does how does having such a, an influential and engaged community impact the customer experience? Have you like, have you, you know, observed any things that are like, wow, this is way different than maybe somewhere else I've worked or other companies that I'm a, a customer of? Like, how does, how does that look? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest indication that you have an engaged customer base is when people reply to your emails. <laughs> Yeah. Um, like your, your mass emails. And I've worked at companies where like, we could have a typo in every single sentence and no one would respond. And it's just like heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, nobody cares. Um, so I think like, that's a good indication of like, do you have people mentioning you on social media? Do you have people replying to your emails because they like care enough to, um, I think also like it's baked into our sales and, and CS process as well. So, uh, a lot of companies will have like private Slack instances, with their higher paying customers who need a little bit higher touch, we have private community spaces where like our, our whole team is in the community. So they have direct access to the members of the team, uh, but they also have like all of the historical knowledge that's been shared within the community as well. So like they can search for specific features to see if this problem was already surfaced by someone. And if so, like self-serve. Um, or they have, you know, uh, like a tutorial recording library pinned to their private space so that they have all the knowledge that any new member of their team would need by entering the community. So we kind of make it sort of just like part of the customer experience versus like anything additional to being a voice load customer. Like they're kind of synonymous. Yeah. I really love that point. Like, do they care enough to reply? Do they care enough to like mention you on social media or reach out to you and actually try to get that recognition that's so important to having community. But that's a really interesting way to look at it. I'm curious, because we talk a lot about, you know, if you if you put forth and you create a really great positive experience for for your customers, they in turn kind of become an, an extension of your marketing and your sales team, right? They're They're kind of spreading the good news. They're excited. They're engaged. They're talking to people about it. How does having such an engaged and a, uh, an engaged community and a product that's led by the community, how does that impact like the role of like sales? It's kind of cool and it's kind of nice uh, because this area is a little bit niche in that like there are a ton of like free chat building, chatbot building tools out there. There are a ton of like uh, just, yeah, like any channel you could think of, like build a chatbot, absolutely zero problem, like find a tool. Um, those tools all kind of exist to solve a problem, but they weren't necessarily built for a user. Uh, mm. And so uh, VoiceFlow kind of was built for the like conversation designer slash developer in mind. Um, and so we have people who are even prospects who are just like simply passionate about this, where they will sign up for the free account to just like tinker. Um, we had a prospect like build his own like using our API, like build his own basically like proof of concept just because he was super passionate about a tool that could finally do the thing that he wanted to do, which was design this really complex sort of experience and then push it somewhere else uh, where it was like always reading back to voice flow. Uh, and so I think just like 
that passion exists not only within our customer base, but like within the market itself. And so like he's part of the community too, because he's tinkering. He is a free user. He's technically a voice flow customer at this point, even though they don't pay us anything yet. Um, and so in that sense, like there is a little bit of an overlap. It's kind of like the people who use Zapier to like text them their grocery list every week. Like these people who are really excited about like the functionality of a certain thing. And it's just like kind of icing on the cake that it overlaps with their day-to-day job. Like I love Zapier. I'm a huge Zapier girl. <laughs> it's like the people on TikTok who are like making a ton of Notion templates. It's kind of similar in that sense where if you're a Figma user, like chances are you use it in your day-to-day and you also use it in your five to nine. Um, and so that right. sort of overlap is kind of what we're seeing on the sales side um, of just like these people are excited that this thing exists because they were using a tool that wasn't built for them before. Mm. That's one shout out to Zapier. Um, Cause I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Making, I have a t-shirt actually that says Zapier makes you happier. I should have, I should have worn that. Um, but no, that, that makes a ton of sense. And that's a really cool, that's a really cool overlap and like way to, to think about it. Um, and especially like, okay, so with automation, a lot of these things are these automated tools that we're talking about, whether it's voice flow, active campaign, Zapier, like all of these things. If someone is just beginning their business and they're seeing, you know, opportunities or they're hearing all about all these different tools, they're trying to grow and scale and include some of these ideas about like, you know, using some of these tools, where, where do you recommend that they start? That's tough because marketing operations people are going to be like, don't buy all the, all the platforms will kill you. Um, <laughs> I think it's first just like, what do you, what does your business want to do? Like right now, um, thinking too far in the future is just like analysis process. You're not, you have to be able to like work back to like actual like bite-sized things that you need. Um, I would say like, if you're building a, an in-app assistant as like your business, this would be a really important tool. Um, I think in terms of like company maturity, there are just like essential tools, like secondary tools and then like tertiary tools. Mm. Um, and I'm a, I'm a marketer by trade. And so like my primary tools are like marketing automation and, and like CRM, like in a, in a website CMS. <laughs> like those are the things that like I would kind of need to have just like right off the bat, like not even company social because you can kind of create buzz around a company through individual accounts anyway. Uh, but like a website, CMS, marketing automation, CRM could even be like an air table. Like it doesn't have to be a Salesforce. Just like, are we keeping track of these people? <laughs> Secondarily to that, I think is like, you know, you're, how are you capturing, like creating and capturing interest? Um, and that's generally built into, you know, your marketing automation, or your CRM through forms, but also like your programs in general. Like, do you want to have a free tool on your site as well as like an enterprise product? Do you want to have like, go freemium have a, or like a free trial and just like get people in that way. Um, and like, how are you going to do that? And how are you going to build that? And then like tertiary is kind of just like, what would be fun? <laughs> What's fun. Uh, but like, especially early stage, got to focus on one thing and just like run with that. Um, and so I think, you know, like active campaign definitely falls into that like primary tool. I think depending on your, your business and your use case and like your goals, voiceflow could be like a secondary or tertiary tool. Um, and then there are some businesses where like 
chat support IVR, which is like when you call CVS and they're like, press one for the pharmacy, like that, that sort of thing, um, are like super important to your business where like voiceful would be a primary tool. So it's, it just like, as per usual depends, but like a fun little like goal setting exercise you can do is just like, what do we want to do? And then mm. figure out the tools that'll let you get there. Yeah. I, I like that. I mean, there's also, I know it's tertiary, but, uh, to a certain extent, it's almost like what would be fun. I don't know. I like to, I like to elevate that, you know, yeah. move that up in the, uh, the packing order a little bit, because that is the stuff that makes people stick around. You know, if it is that experience that is fun for one, you, but also fun for them if to go through, or it's like the thing that they didn't expect to happen that does happen. That's like the crux of what makes someone like, remember what, you mm-hmm. know, remember you in a positive light. And now a word from our sponsor. With ActiveCampaign, you can run marketing automations as well as send one-to-one emails and transactional messages, securing your communications in one place and providing a seamless experience for your customers, no matter who is sending it. And with our flexible plans, you can buy what you need to get started without having to pay for everything up front. Try it for free at ActiveCampaign.com. But what about chatbots and conversational assistants? How can you use those to move folks along in the customer journey while also providing a good experience for them by answering their questions, not frustrating them, and maybe even adding a human element or two in? Sarah has some insights here. Let's check it out. Uh, if, If we think about this kind of conversation, like where do you start kind of angle from a community standpoint, if someone is kind of looking to build a community, I know you you had mentioned that it was on Facebook and now you you own the community, but I mean, are there is a tool necessary? Like, what what is the kind of the the table stakes or the precursor? Like, how would you start a community or or look to scale a community? Yeah, I think because there's so much buzz around community right now, everyone's like, we need to have one, and it's like, no, actually, don't. Uh, so I think firstly, like, are you creating a community that needs to exist right now? Uh, mm. And that comes with joining communities like in your space and seeing where the gaps are. Uh, So like if we're starting from the very, very beginning, like is there a gap in your industry, in your vertical, in your like space um, where this thing doesn't exist yet? And like, I'm part of like 17 marketing groups, but they're all different. Like one's purely for in-house marketers, one's purely for marketing ops people, one's purely for growth people, one's purely for like revenue operations. Like they're all positioned a little bit differently where like, there's some overlap and then there's a lot that's like very specific to those communities. Um, so yeah, like doesn't need to exist one, (laughs) um, two, can you gather like 10 people who would be down to like talk about that specific thing? Like a lot. Uh, I think the first 10 is kind of like your pressure test to be like, can I bring together like-minded people who might not know each other and get them to like have a conversation and not just one, but like an ongoing conversation. And I think Product Hunt did a really good job of this um, pre-pandemic where they just did like brunches. Like Ryan, the CEO was just like, hey, you all are like super interesting. Like I want to take you all to brunch. (laughs) And then it just like people talked about these brunches because they were like super successful. And then all of a sudden there were a few hundred people like wanted to come to these things. And Ryan was like, okay, we need to have like another place where where people who are product nerds can talk about being product nerds and like what's new and what's updating and what's evolving and what should we use and what shouldn't we use. Um, I think like 
Duolingo also does a really good job of building community or like Yelp, for example, the way that Yelp build, built their community was they didn't focus on 90% of their users. They focus on the 10% who always left reviews no matter what. Mm. Um, and so it's like, can you find those 10% of your users who are like super, super engaged and activated and bought in to your product or like your mission or your vision uh, and like ask them what they need and what they want. Um, so like, yeah, Yelp, like they would throw and have enable restaurants to like throw review parties where it's like, yeah, come eat at our restaurant, leave us a review and you'll get a discount. But there were people who were not going to those parties and still left a review every single time. And that's when they were like, okay, we want you to be like our city correspondent, you know, for the specific city and have you be a little bit more involved in the Yelp product development. Um, and so I think it's like, after you find your first 10 or how you find your first 10 or like who are the people who are spending a shit ton there it is, uh, of time in your product? Um, like just tinkering, like, do you have like a log rocket or a, a heat mapping tool to be like, what are they doing in there? Like what's going on? Uh, right. And then can you talk to them and figure out what they, what more they want or would like to see from you? Um, and then it's, you know, activating them and then having them invite like a friend or two that they think um, and kind of just like compounding it in that way. Uh, and it grows organically when you pay attention to it, but someone has to pay attention to it and engage with them and make it a habitual thing to engage with the community. So just like standing up a Slack instance and dropping all your customers in there and being like community done, never going to think about that ever again. Um, might not be the best way to go about it. <laughs> Yeah. And that, I mean, with it being so in the spotlight, I think that, you know, people might look at voice flow community and, and look at that as like the example of, oh my God, if only we had a community as engaged and as, you know, beneficial as, as that, how do we do that? And then it's sort of like, you're saying, you know, just dump everybody in over here, everybody who uses the product go, you're in the community now. Yeah. Why aren't you, you why aren't it? you doing anything? Yeah. Do you, do you feel it? Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> So if we kind of change gears um, to voice flow and core competencies and, and what it is that you do, when I think about like automated conversational assistance or chatbots, I feel like there's literally like too many uses, like it kind of starts to get overwhelming. And it's a problem that we see at Active Campaign a lot, right? There's like a ton of instances where you could automate something. You can automate that, you could automate, or you could automate this, or you could tie them both together and automate that. Like, where do I start? You know, yeah. decision paralysis kind of sets in. So how do you decide like what you should do when it comes to, to voiceful? Like, how do you identify the things like, ah, this, this is where we should start. This is what we should do. Yeah. I think I had like a slight competitive advantage, um, coming into voiceful because I was the drift for drift girl. Um, I was like the bot girl at drift. <laughs> uh, and so I, I started a chat strategy when we had nothing. Um, mm. and that was kind of a different use case, but a lot of voiceful customers are, um, sort of, building for uh because it was purely for marketing and sales like the happy path so to speak of just like the best case scenario is booking a meeting whereas for a lot of voiceful customers it's like internal containment of like can we answer questions without mm. passing off to an agent um and so in that sense the use case for a lot of voiceflow uh customers uh is a little bit more on like the support customer experience sort of side of things but regardless I think any business that's existed for more than like 30 days has historical customer data. They know what kind of questions their customers are asking uh, and what comes up 
like a lot. And so I think where you start is creating an instance that contains those questions um, and then like waits for a new one to kind of like come along and then iterating and optimizing your experience for that. On the Alexa Google side, it's a little bit different because these people were kind of like indie developers, like building games or just like interesting commands that your your home assistant could do. Um, but we also there's also you know like like NPR has an Alexa skill, uh, so you know um, you have to be able to to kind of figure out what are the like common commands that you think someone is going to have when they're encountering any sort of like conversational experience in your like like in the sort of scenario that you're designing for and then you know trying to design for as many possible scenarios as possible possible scenarios possible you know whatever um but like what's built into the voiceful product as well as like prototyping and user testing so like you can send someone a custom link uh and have them interact with your experience and if they ask something that your bot can't handle you can be like oh great we have to add you know, like logic for this. So we have to add um, sort of like the the natural language processing intents and utterances and entities for this thing. Um, and so in that sense, it's a little bit different from what Drift was because uh, theirs was like a tree, decision tree, um, a little bit of NLP, uh, and then they have like a full AI product uh, versus VoiceFlow is like, if you have built your own already, uh, like your own NLU or you use an external one, like we can connect to it. Uh, so if you have already put your, like what the bot should recognize and say somewhere else, like, just let us know, we'll recognize that. Uh, if you don't have that, then look at your like common FAQs, uh, talk to like a few customers, be like what questions that you have, um, and then, you know, build for that and then continue iterating. Conversational systems are never set it and forget it, like ever. <laughs> they just simply cannot be because... Uh, humans expect a lot from conversational assistants and like are often disappointed. <laughs> yes. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, because that's sort of like what we have, what has emerged. It, it comes out in every single episode we do. It doesn't matter what topic of conversation is. If we're talking about the customer experience, it always comes back to, and you mentioned both of them in, in that answer was talk to your customers, know your customers. Who are they? What are they asking? What are the common questions, the common problems, and then managing their expectations. And the expectation piece with chatbots is really interesting because I think every like the medium of communication, the expectations attached to that are different for for everyone. So with that in mind, like for chatbots, you you mentioned that humans' expectations are are really high. How can you kind of is there a way to to get in front of that? Is there a way to manage those more effectively? Like what do you see as a best practice there or keeping that in mind? Yeah, I think one thing that people will always test when they're coming up with like, when they're faced with like a chatbot or a conversational experience in any way, is like, are you a bot? Like, what can you do? Mm. And anticipating that someone's going to ask your bot that question and having the answer to that uh, and having the bot, your bot be able to like engage in small talk or like have a little like chit chat path. Um, and I think that's kind of one of voice um like biggest differentiators is you don't have to design a linear conversation within VoiceFlow. Uh, there are basically, there's logic that you can add to your bot that allows it to recognize any sort of like utterance, which is like a user input at any part of the flow. Um, so you could be like in the meeting booking flow and then you're like, wait, 
can I talk to, or like, what's your pricing again? And you can have that logic to be able to be like, our pricing is this and pass it back to where they were in the flow to be like, great question. This is our pricing. Anyway, are you ready to book that meeting now? Um, and so I think, you know, we're getting there in terms of just like as a market of conversational assistance and conversational marketing and conversational AI and all of those fun things. Um, but I would say like, first things first, add like Easter eggs and the ability to answer, like, are you a bot? What can you do? Tell me a joke. How's the weather? Like those sorts of things, because then people are like, okay, cool. Like this bot could probably answer my question now, now that I know it has like this logic in it my pretty simple question about product functionality or like, do you have this thing in stock can probably be answered. Um, so we, we ran a test like that when I was at Drift, actually. Um, if the bot can answer a question about like functionality, they, the person was more willing to finish the flow and get to the end of like the happy path, which was like giving us their email, booking a meeting. Um, and we see a similar thing with voiceflow customers also of like, there is more containment when there's more personality a little bit uh, and there's a little bit more like anticipation uh, of just like natural human language and natural human uh, curiosity when they encounter a bot of any sort. Mm. I couldn't help but like remember those, those three different levels of like software tools you were talking about, like primary, secondary, and then tertiary, like what would be fun? It seems like if you can have some of that, what would be fun stuff? If you apply that to like a chat bot, um, then you're more than likely going to provide a, a good experience. And, and you mentioned something about uh, before about like iterating, it should never be set it and forget it completely agree with that. But is that sort of like the main difference you think between like creating a, a good customer experience and a bad one or, or what is like with, with a chat? chatbot um like what is what does that kind of look like i think the biggest one is set it and forget it i think there are a lot of like smaller not mistakes but kind of i'm just like um yeah you just don't ever update it uh it feels robotic so i think like one thing that people forget all the time is when you're having a conversation and someone asks you a question you you like recognize that they ask that question and then respond so it's not like where do you live colorado What's your last name? Like, it's where do you live? Colorado. Oh, I hear it's beautiful. What's your last name? Like, that sort of recognition of natural human language sometimes gets forgotten because you're so excited that you have this really cool, complex flow designed for like a third time returning user who has performed this specific action in app and you want to like have them go down this specific path. Uh, we're just like, the way that people feel recognized within a conversation is like very simple uh, and people get really excited and for good reason to build really complex and exciting like math equations within their bot so that they can calculate a price before you check out, um, which is like what a grocery store in Australia does. And they're just like crazy. Um, that's Peter. <laughs> uh, but there's also, you know, that layer of like, it feels like you're having a conversation and you're not just filling out a form in a chat window. Mm. That the human, like the human element, I think that 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 makes so much sense, and it's something that it, it is. It is funny you get almost so lost in like the capabilities of what you're able to do that you forget that it's like, oh yeah, but we also have to make this like personable, and we have to make this like something that you would want to continue doing and not feel like cold and robotic. That's really interesting. So when you're building bots or when you're building automations, what does that look like? Like, do you have a process? Do you have a protocol checklist like what does what does that look like i was building one yesterday and i was like if i watch my like log rocket session i would i would feel pain <laughs> um <laughs> because like generally the the way that i would 
like put together a flow or like any sort of just like conversational experience is like build it out rudimentary, like rudimentarily before I like make it actually optimized, if that makes sense. So like, what is my happy path to start? Like before I do anything, what is the flow that I want to demo? Um, so this is for like the Sephora Live Bot Teardown. Is that pen and paper for you? Like before you get into software or no? No, I'm a, it's like my personality type of like, if I'm putting together a piece of Ikea furniture, like I read the instructions while I build like okay. sort of thing. So like my boyfriend will read all the instructions and then he'll build. So he takes him probably less time to, to finish, but it takes him more time to get started. And I don't like that. <laughs> I just want to do it. Um, so yeah, like I'll, 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 map it out in the the tool that I'm using. I'll usually have like a an idea of what I want, just like the best case scenario to look like in my head. Um, and then this is just like, how do I get it out of my head and onto a canvas? And then afterwards it's like, oh, this would be cool. Oh, I want to do that. And then it's like, okay, first I have to organize all of these things so that I can do that and it makes sense. Um, so that's that's kind of how I would do it. So yesterday, for example, I was building out like uh, an updated version of what Sephora's chat could look like. Because right now it's just like they immediately connect you to a live person. Like there's no containment at all. Um, <laughs> very specific. Uh, but uh, I basically like created the path for like makeup, hair, skin, fragrance, customer service. Uh, and then like I wanted to build out the makeup path. So I'm like, let me help you with your makeup. Like, what do you want to find? And it's like foundations. And it's like, okay, cool. Do you want to talk to an agent about that? Or do you want me to give you a recommendation? And like built out that whole thing. And I was like, okay, wouldn't it be cool if, and then I start building those like extraneous scenarios, but I build the main thing first. Uh, we would just like define the, the happy path at drift first. And then like, what are the extraneous scenarios we have to account for? Because this is going to live on our website and people don't just come on our website to convert. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Mm, I think that's that's a very important point too. That sort of gets lost in a lot of the like thought leadershipy kind of advice, where everything has to be the conversion, the conversion, the conversion. And I think that like, yes, you should be laddering up to that, but at the same time, like everybody's intent is not necessarily that. Right. They could just be looking for information. Um, do you do you find that like that taking that approach, maybe making the the CTA, if you will, the conversion, kind of like not a take a backseat, but keeping it in mind that it's like, maybe that's not the best thing that we could do in the long run for this person. I think it, it can always be an option. I think the really cool thing about a conversational experience is that it's not a form and you don't have to have one CTA where people hit submit and that's all they can do. Um, and so you can always ask if people want to convert and if they say no, they're still having a conversation with you. So you still have the ability to be like, no problem. How about this blog post? How about this downloadable piece of content? How about like this thing that'll educate you more on our piece of software or our services or whatever that will move you from like super tofu to like maybe mid tofu mofu. Um, and so I think with the experiences that a lot of our, our customers are building for, it's a little bit different because it's not necessarily a like sales and marketing website chat. And it's more so like, do you want to open a ticket versus do you want to like talk to a person versus like, do you want to search our health docs, but like giving people the option to like choose your own adventure. Um, because otherwise you may as well just have a form on your website or a form, a contact us form for your support instance, or uh, a phone number that goes directly to like a call center versus 
trying to actually contain and answer questions proactively. Uh, and then if you really can't, like, it's okay if you can't contain everything, you can always pass off to a person. And you should have, you know, like, at least one person there to be like, hi, real person. How can I help? What do you want? <laughs> Hello, human. Hi. Um, awesome. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I really love that idea about what you said, you know, if, if it is like to, to have it as an option, but it, the beauty of it is that there are so many different paths and it actually is like a, a true choose your own adventure. And so often we talk about how the fact that, you know, the buying process is not linear. There are so many places for it to go, yet we still have a lot of tools that treat it as if it's linear. And uh, I really like how you how you said that um just about the conversational tool um I, I can't really think of a better way to to end this thing than that right there sarah thank you so much for uh for your time for stopping by and talking with us uh really appreciate it thanks for having me yeah absolutely all right here's the thing when someone interacts with a chatbot on a website they know that they're interacting with a chatbot but you can add in some natural human language, some humor, some recognition, some unexpected attributes that might make the website visitor feel like they're not talking to a robot, just for a second. If you can do that, they are so much more likely to complete the path. Sarah brought up something incredibly important. When you have a conversation with a person, there's a pause, there's recognition, there's comments and tangents that happen. The best sales reps know this, and it's a common thing that new salespeople have to identify and overcome. If you just run through your list of discovery questions on a sales call, the prospect might answer them all, but they'll probably feel impersonal, and they won't give you any extra information. People don't like that. They want to have a real conversation, with some recognition, with pauses, maybe even a little bit of personality. That's the stuff that makes it a human experience, and that's the stuff that makes it a positive customer experience. And that's our show. Thank you for your time today. I'm Ernie. This is Plantasia. This has been Growth Decoded. We'll see you next time. And until then, go forth and automate. Thanks for listening to Growth Decoded to Go. For the latest updates on Growth Decoded and links to the live show, you can sign up to be a part of the Grow team at activecampaign.com slash events slash growth hyphen decoded.